ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi as reportedly being interrogated and accused of treason at the Republican Guard headquarters in Cairo, while the Muslim Brotherhood leaders' assets have been frozen by Egyptian prosecutors. Several U.S. senators are calling for aid to Egypt to be cut off. Mel Frickberg reports. Egyptian prosecutors have begun formally questioning Morsi on suspicion of treason. He is being interrogated over allegations he collaborated with Hamas and Hezbollah to escape from prison during the 2011 uprising that brought the fall of Hosni Mubarak. If he is found guilty of treason, he could face the death penalty. He is also accused of wrecking the economy and fraud. The public prosecutors on Sunday also ordered the freezing of assets belonging to 14 leading members of the Muslim Brotherhood as part of an investigation into deadly violence. Meanwhile, several U.S. senators, including John McCain, have called for American aid to Egypt to be cut off. Turkish Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan says ousted Egyptian leader Mohamed Morsi is the only legitimate president of Egypt. Erdogan made the remarks yesterday during an interview with Turkey's English language daily Today Zaman. On Saturday, several Egyptian MPs in the disbanded Upper House of Parliament also rejected the ouster of Morsi, the country's first democratically elected president in a military coup. Speaking it at a public rally organized by the Muslim Brotherhood in Cairo, some two dozen members of the Shura Council demanded that the army reinstate Morsi and called on other legislatures across the world not to recognize Egypt's new military-appointed administration. Nigerian military officials say they have uncovered mass graves of decomposing bodies and caches of buried arms in raids that killed dozens of Islamic extremists in Nigeria's city of Maiduguri. The statement contradicts previous military assurances about last week's raids that it had forced militants out of major cities and towns in a two-month-old security crackdown in three northeastern states covering one-sixth of Nigeria. Lieutenant Colonel Sagir Musa said security forces also rescued many women and girls kidnapped by the extremists in an attack in Maiduguri's Bola Bulen Ganaram neighborhood. The extremists are alleged to be part of a group known as Boko Haram, which is believed to be responsible for hundreds of deaths of people and oppose education it deems as being Western. Still in Nigeria, the government is under pressure to arrest Sudan's President Umar al-Bashir, who is in the country for a two-day health summit on malaria, HIV and TB. Al-Bashir has a warrant for arrest hanging over his head as the International Criminal Court seeks to prosecute him on charges of crimes against humanity. Nigeria is also a signatory to the ICC and is therefore obligated to arrest al-Bashir and hand him over. Southern African Director for Human Rights Watch Tseke Kasambala. This is not arrested. I think Nigeria will be one of the well, the only, in fact, West African country to have the shameful distinction of welcoming an ICC fugitive into their country. And this is in stark contrast to the leadership of South Africa, Malawi, and other African states who have made it clear that Al Bashir would be arrested if he entered um, their borders or have avoided having him visit their countries. 
The head of the AUUN mission has called for a review following the deaths of seven peacekeepers in an ambush in Darfur. Attackers who killed seven peacekeepers in Sudan's Darfur were armed with anti-aircraft guns. Saturday's ambush left seven Tanzanian troops dead and wounded 17 other military and police personnel from the African Union United Nations mission in Darfur. UNIMIT chief Mohammed Ibn Chambers spoke after returning from Khor Achebe where the patrol was based north of the south north of South Darfur state capital Niala. Recapping the top stories, ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi reportedly being interrogated and accused of treason at the Republican Guard headquarters in Cairo. Nigerian military officials uncover mass graves of decomposing bodies in raids that killed dozens of Islamic extremists in Maiduguri. And the head of the AU UN mission calls for a review following the deaths of seven peacekeepers in an ambush in Darfur. That's the news for this hour. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you to Anne Musa there for that news update. Just before we went into that short break, you are tuned in to Channel Africa here. And this is, of course, African Dialogue. This is the kickstart to your week-long dialogue with us, which is, of course, between Monday and Thursday at 1100 hours. That is Central African time. And in terms of time right now, you, the time is 8 minutes. After 11, that is, of course, Central African time. My name is Zikana Miso. And, of course, please do remember that you're welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter, or you can simply SMS your views on today's topic to plus 27823253905. That's plus 27823253905. Let me remind you that on Twitter, our handle is at Channel Africa one that's at Channel Africa One, and you can hashtag African Dialogue to have that debate with us and just share your sentiments with us as we discuss today's particular topic. Now, today, as I've mentioned before, we are discussing a case of alleged discrimination that's against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits in the South African National Defence Force. The South African-based Treatment Action Campaign says it's disappointed by the country's National Defence Force's alleged discrimination that's against HIV. HIV-positive soldiers and recruits. It says the Defence Department was a pioneer in HIV-AIDS treatment. This is it was the first in the country to roll out antiretroviral treatment before government implemented its program. Now, following the allegations, three SANDF recruits, alongside unions SASFU and SANDU, as well as rights organizations Section 27, have filed papers in the North Carteng Court, that's in the capital city of South Africa, Pretoria. That's challenging the alleged continuous discrimination 
of infected soldiers and the recruits there in the Defence Force. But without delving too much into the details, let's welcome our guests who are going to be discussing this particular issue with us today. Now on the line, I do understand that we do have Biki Khrif, who is Sandu's National Secretary. Biki, are you there? Biki? Okay, we are still to get Biggie Clear for on the line who is with the South African National Defense Union. He is the National Secretary there. In studio with us, we do have Nongo Sikumalo, who's the Treatment Action Campaign Chair Lady. Uh, good day, Nongo and welcome to African Dialogue. Um, good day, um, and uh, good day to the listeners. It's good to have you here to explain to us exactly what's happening here. Here on African Dialogue, of course, we do like to look at issues and zoom in on them. That's until the top of the hour. And do remember that for you, our loyal listener, you can catch us on plus two seven eight two three three two. 823-325-905 plus 27823-325-905 Now on the line as I said earlier we do have Biki Khrif who is the Sandu National Secretary. Biki good morning and welcome to African Dialogue. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We also do have Begim Volvo who is SASFU's President. Begim welcome to Channel Africa and thank you for joining us. Good morning and thank you for having me on the program. Well, as I said, the issue that we are discussing today is the case of alleged discrimination against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits. Now, let me begin with you, Nongosi, because it appears as if the treatment action campaign is sort of spearheading this uh, application into uh, the courts around this particular issue. What's the problem here? Um, I think just a minor correction. It is SASFU and Sandu that are spearheading. Um, we're just supporting them um, as an organization that has been in the field um, long enough to understand the issues of HIV in this country. So what basically is an issue here um, arises, I think, from a case that we supported SASFU on. Um, and its judgment came out in 2008 of um, South African National Defense Force um, illegal policy of discriminating against um, um, possible employees to the South African National Defence Force who are living with HIV um, or discrimination internally to members who are already employed by the SANDF in terms of promotion um, opportunities um, and also um, deployment opportunities for those that have been diagnosed as HIV positive. Becky, now can you elaborate for us on exactly what it is that is meant when we say you know, that there's alleged discrimination um, against these soldiers and recruits. What is it that is happening? Can you give us an elaboration of exactly what is taking place in that regard? Is that I'm sorry, are you talking? Picky? Yes, Picky, you may uh, go ahead when you're ready. Sorry, are you talking to Peggy because I'm Peggy or are you talking to Peggy? I was taking, I was, hi Peggy. Peggy, I was speaking to Peggy Khrev, but you are welcome okay. to take the um, answer as well because as I understand you're also part of this application that has been launched to the court. So you can also give us an indication of exactly what is meant when you say discrimination against these songs and recruits. Begim Volvo, over to you. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you very much. When we say discrimination, remember the court case that we took in 2008 were issues of promotion, firstly, issues of sending soldiers to courses, 
issues of uh, sending soldiers to deployment, which the Defence Force did not allow HIV-positive people to go to courses or to be deployed, which then affected them uh, uh, in terms of promotion, because some of the courses you've got to do in order to be promoted. So that is the discrimination we're talking about. Um, that uh, soldiers cannot be discriminated, including the contract renewal. So this particular case we're talking about here uh, is on the contract renewal. In fact, um, the contract of the members was ending in January. So those members had already then been given a new contract, which they've been now on work beyond uh, uh, January which was then withdrawn after they have tested positive for HIV. So that is what we mean by discrimination. Thank you for explaining that to us. That's Becky Mvovo there, who is SASFU's president. Now, Becky Khrif, I'm speaking to you now. Before we go any further, according to the military skills development system of the SANDF, reserves have the right uh, to terminate a member's contract after 30 days' notice. This on the grounds of the deterioration of a member's medical condition, uh, which is extended that a member can no longer maybe complete the prescribed training or is no longer operationally uh, deployable. Now, has this, um, is this what has happened with these uh, particular contracts? What has taken place? Biggie Khrif, over to you. Yes, look, I think the matter is fairly simple. Uh, these particular members who we are assisting in this court action uh, were at the end of the MSD contract. And while it is so that it's only a two-year contract and that the state is under no obligation to renew it, the uh, incident that occurred here is that these members were in fact on a list of people being considered for contract renewals or extensions. And uh, due to their medical classification, which was a code red, uh, which uh, means that you're not deployable and, and, and not employable, uh, they were then struck off the list of considerations for new contracts. And the only reason they were marked code red is because of the HIV status. Now, it's quite clear from the 2008 court case that the SNDF is not allowed to consider a person's HIV status as a matter relevant to his employment in the Defence Force. So, in reality, what's happening here is these people are being refused further contact because of their HIV status. That is unlawful discrimination. That is contrary to the previous court order, and that is why we're taking the action. Just for um, the bonus of the people who are none the wiser when it comes to this 2008 case by the AIDS Law Clinic, um, can you just elaborate for us about, its, uh, about it and, of course, its outcome so that we have just a greater context of what you mean when you keep referring to that particular case? Well, in that particular case, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, there were members who were complaining that the policies of the SANDF were unfairly discriminating against HIV-positive soldiers in the sense that they were denied going on promotional courses, they were denied the opportunity to deploy uh, in military operations, uh, etc., and even uh, their services terminated due to their status. And what that court case uh, in reality uh, said, or the judgment said, which was reached by agreement, by the way, the SNDF agreed to a judgment against them. The judgment basically said that the SNDF should uh, amend its policies to eradicate this unfair discrimination against HIV-positive soldiers. Now, clearly, in this case, in the new case, that is not happening, and they're not abiding by the court. 
That's Pekikriyev, the Sanju National Secretary, Jay, just explaining to us about that particular case which took place in 2008. And I must indicate before we go any further that we did speak to the South African National Defence Force, inviting them to come and engage with us in today's dialogue about this particular matter. But they did decline our invitation um, to come and uh, engage with us in today's particular discussion. So I just needed to highlight that before we go any further. You are of course still tuned in to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikon Amiso and in today's discussion I'm joined by Nongo Sikumalo who is the TAC Chair Lady, Biki Khrif who is Sandu's National Secretary as well as Begim Volvo who is SASFU's President. Now Nongo I'm going to come back to you. You were talking about the treatment action campaign is in full support of this particular application that is going ahead. Why is this the case and what message do you think um, these allegations sort from the Defence Force send out there to people? Okay, so the reason why the TAC is involved in this particular matter um, as supporters um, of um, Sasfu and Sandru is basically I mean the the old I mean the old principle, the known principle that at this age and time in, in South Africa there's really no need for further discrimination of people living with HIV. Um, we've got the best science ever um, guiding the South African national government in terms of how to respond um, to people living with HIV um, in the workplace, um, in terms of accessing treatment. Um, and the SANDF in this particular case, um, which for me is, is a bit confusing, is they are one of the government institutions who actually started um, providing treatment to their own members back in the early 2000s um, because they are I think they saw a need of providing that kind of treatment to the existing employees so that they know how well can they do on treatment and that informs government policy. Um, so now we know scientifically that a person who's living with HIV um, is not going to die tomorrow, neither are they going to die next year, um, but they have exactly an equal lifespan as a person who does not have HIV. So we've got the best science leading us here um, and, and we want to know from the South African National Defense Force why in 2013 are they still practicing what was done in this country in the late 90s and early 2000s. Now, Mr. Begim Volvo, how popular are these uh, particular incidents? I mean, how many times have uh, maybe some of your members reported such incidents of discrimination within the Defence Force? Is this something which, uh, which has been happening over time, or is this something new? It's, it's not something new. It's, it's happening all the time. In fact, what, what has made uh, the situation very difficult is that we can't engage with the defense force. Um, they don't want to talk to unions. You'll remember, as BK has said, that there was an agreement that we need to talk to each other. And uh, the then eight law projects and, and ourselves as such, we did participate in the formulation of the new police. So there, there were constant talks between ourselves and the defense force at the time. But after, afterwards, then, we saw a changed attitude where the defense force did not want to engage the unions, where we couldn't highlight the, the, the problems that the members were faced with. Uh, they have never changed the um, requirements for a, 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 there's a status which they call G1, K1, <coughs> excuse me, and in the Navy they, they go further to say G1, K1, N1, which means that a soldier or a member of the, of the Navy 
and, and in the defense force in, in general must be physically fit, must uh, 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 not have uh, traces of HIV in their blood, and therefore they regard that person as deployable and that person as employable on board the ship. So in, in all their cases, uh, their courses, when they send people to courses, they always stress that a person must be G1, K1, N1. And it, it, it also includes for the contract renewal. Uh, members of the military skills development must be G1, K1, N1. And that is the case here. And there are also other members. Uh, we've got a member at, at the moment that uh, has got his case assisted by the lawyers for human rights who was removed uh, from the ship before the ship sailed. He was told that because of his HIV status, he couldn't sail with the ship. I've got another member here that uh, was removed from uh, officer's course. She wanted to be an officer, and because she was HIV positive, she, she has not been allowed to, to go to the officer's course. And there are many, many others, including the issue, by the way, that they still continue to test members even before deployment, you know, uh, to test them for HIV. And we've got countries like Ghana uh, that they do not do HIV testing at all when they deploy our soldiers to, to, to the UN uh, peacekeeping missions and of, of, uh, of those that are sanctioned by the African Union. So it's, it's, it's the problem that the South African National Defense Force has got, and unfortunately we can only talk to them uh, by through the courts, um, because they're not sitting with us as unions so that we can deal with these problems. Hence, when you invited them to your program, they couldn't come because there's a contradiction between their policy and what they actually do in terms of implementing their policy on the ground. Well, just a reminder to our listener out there, if you have just tuned in, this is African Dialogue on Channel Africa. And we did um, make uh, uh, an effort to get the South African National Defense Force to join us today uh, with our discussion here on African Dialogue. But they did decline our invitation, which we had extended to them for today's discussion. Now, Piki uh, Khriev. Um, we do know that SASFU as well as Sandu have also accused the ministry of failing to enforce uh, policies which protect its employees. Can you elaborate on this for us? I'm sorry, I didn't get your question. Uh... SASFU and Sandu have also accused the ministry, that's the defense uh, ministry, of failing to enforce policies which protect their employees in this regard. Can you explain on this? Uh, I'm, I'm very sorry, I, I can't understand your question. The policies. We understand that SASFU and Sandu have collectively also accused the Ministry of Defense for not enforcing policies which protect their employees. Now, can you elaborate on these allegations or accusations, so to speak, from SASFU and Sandu to the Defense uh, Ministry in South Africa? Well, I think the protection issue, you know, as far as the HIV is concerned, uh, you know, the, the merits of, of, of the case or the, the merits of those accusations become clear in the court case that we brought. Um, if they were protecting HIV-positive members, then they would not be uh, holding the people's HIV status against them as a reason for not extending their contracts. So I think that's fairly clear. Uh, you know, indication that they don't protect their employees. Um, I think uh, Becky and Bobu also said at the press conference that we had that, you know, there are more things that the employer can do 
to make soldiers on deployment uh, and during training and so on and away from home more aware of uh, you know, uh, proper behavior, proper, proper sexual behavior, uh, good practices, uh, uh, safe practices, etc. Some more uh, training programs maybe that can be conducted. It really is an obligation by the state even if it's only a moral obligation, but it's an obligation by the state to also teach its employees about things like HIV, how to prevent it. And I think the point that Becky was making during the press conference is that certainly the Defence Force has not done enough to make soldiers aware of these issues and train them in these issues also. Well, that's Becky Cleft there. He is the Sundu National Secretary. That is the South African National Defense Union here in South Africa. This is still African Dialogue on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're just going to move into a short break now, and we will come back after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And welcome back after that short break here on African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. At this very moment, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz. That's on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Zikon Amiso. Do remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And you're more than welcome to interact with us via Facebook or Twitter, or you can simply SMS your views to plus two seven. 823-325-905. Take a pen and write it down. It's plus 27-823-325-905. And of course, today on African Dialogue, we're discussing a case of alleged discrimination that's against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits in South Africa in the South African National Defense Force. Now, on the line, we have Biki Khref, who is Sandu's National Secretary. In studio, we've got Nongo Sikumalo, who's TAC, that's Treatment Action Campaigns, Chair Lady, as well as Beki Mvovo, who is the SASFU president. They've been engaging with us today as we discuss this particular and pertinent issue. We did mention earlier that we did make efforts to try and get the SANDF, that's the South African National Defense Force, to engage with us today, but they did decline our invitation to have that chat with us here today in studio. But the show must go on and we carry on Nongosi. Now, earlier, Bekim Volvo did mention um, other African countries which are not in the same position that um, South Africa may find all the, the soldiers and the recruits in South Africa may find themselves. Now, why do you think that is? What is it that maybe has advanced in other parts of the continent that has not um, happened here, particularly in South Africa? And generally, what message does it send, you know, when there are allegations? Of course, um, nothing has been 
uh, put to book for now, but the allegations flying around, what sort of message does it send to other people, you know, who are HIV positive? Mm. And furthermore, what's your role then as the treatment action campaign in this regard? So, I mean, there are countries just closer to us who are still practicing the discriminatory policies like the South African National Defense and in countries like Botswana and Zimbabwe, they also test their members um, for possible deployment or employment um, within within the um, defense force. Now, what makes now? Now, what makes them different to uh, countries like uh, Ghana, like uh, Beginbovo cited earlier? I'm I'm really not sure. I wouldn't know what informs that, but I think. Um, part of part of what, and this is just my assumption. Part of it is is probably related to the fact that there's high levels of the HIV epidemic in the countries that I've mentioned, um, and so probably as taking precautionary me- measures, they would want to test before they deploy or employ. Um, but the, the the flip side of it is, once you do that, you obviously. Um, then put forward the HIV status before the capabilities and efficiencies of, of people that are living with HIV. And, and, and for me, that's, that's where I think the problem is. Um, the United Nations guidelines on deployment and employment of, 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 of members um, within the Defense Force or possible deployment, because UN is mostly around the deployment of um, um, peacekeeping forces, does not specify um, and it does not require that uh, members who need to be deployed to countries should be tested for HIV. So this is just, I mean, a few countries that are doing it and they're doing it for the reasons known to them. Um, I think what the biggest role here is for organizations like the TAC in other African countries um, where such organizations exist, like in Kenya, um, is, is, I mean, in Kenya and in Nigeria, is, 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 is standing up once again and reminding people um, what it means to live with HIV. It, it doesn't mean you're going to die. It doesn't mean that you're not capable um, enough like any other person who has any other chronic illness because if HIV is such a huge disease of concern for people, diabetes should be the same, cancer should be the same, um, cholesterol-related issues should be the same, but they, they never form part of these stringent um, criteria for um, employment or, or, or possible deployment. Um, so the message for um, us, um, I think, to many other African um, governments who are still practicing this is to say we've moved on. Um, let's not go back um, because that phase in our lives was the darkest period, especially in South Africa, and we do not want to go back where people would rather not know what the HIV status is because they fear what the replications would be in, in, in their places of employment. Uh, Begum Vovel, in terms of the application, obviously, that you'll be lodging um, at court, what are your expectations here? Our expectation is that the members that their contract has been terminated are going to be reinstated. They are going to be given, the, it's called a CSS contract, which means a core service system contract that the employment into the South African National Defense Force after the, they have finished their two-year military skills development program. So that's our, our, our first expectation. The second one is that the Defense Force will then have to do away with the requirement for members to be HIV negative in order to be given a, a core service system contract. Uh, so that, that is our, 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 our expectation in, 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 in the outcome of, of, of the case. We know that the other issues that we had already raised earlier 
about uh, sending members to courses as well as deploying members. There is already a policy, but it's not being implemented. So it then also then becomes our expectation that the Defence Force must implement their own policy with regard to HIV-positive soldiers in all respects. That's Begim Volvo there. He is the SASFU president here on African Dialogue. And today we're discussing a case of alleged discrimination against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits in South Africa in the South African National Defense Force. Now, Nongosi, let's give just a, a greater uh, or broader context into this particular case here. Um, uh, we do know that, I mean, this, this particular case is uh, solely directed to the Defense Force and, and whatnot. But as a treatment action campaign, you deal with a lot of people in a wide spectrum mm-hmm. of uh, uh, working environments and working spaces who mm-hmm. are infected mm-hmm. with the HIV, with the HIV virus, so to speak. How often do you see cases like this where people are coming, you know, forward to say that um, not being treated while at work or di- um, discriminated against and, and, and what not? And what is it that you do as the treatment action campaign to sort of counsel these people or deal with these particular issues? Mm-hmm. And if you do have any, you know, you can share some cases with us. Okay. Um, I mean, I can honestly um, say that in the recent past, we actually seeing less and less of these cases in the broader environment. Um, initially, most of the cases that came through to us were from um, domestic workers who um, were discriminated against by their employers because they're looking after kids, they should cook um, and for their employers, etc. And, and that's where many of the cases came from. Um, at, ti- at the time when the South African government policy was still also not friendly enough um, towards people with HIV, we, we were getting a lot of those from even big employers like the um, South African Airways and people in the private sector being discriminated against. And I mean, we we did quite a lot of work to change the attitudes of the employers. Not all of them obviously have um, joined the group um, or jumped into the wagon um, and singing the, from the same page with us. Uh, but but there's definitely a decline in, in the reported cases of, 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 of discrimination. Um, but in cases where such arises, we, we, we obviously try as much as we can to engage with the employers themselves because they also need to understand what their obligations are as the employers in terms of the well-being and health of the, of the employees um, in, in, in cases where an employee is living with HIV. We also encourage um, workplaces to have wellness programs. So not just wellness programs because there are people living with HIV, but wellness programs for many other people who um, might have chronic illnesses that require as much attention um, as HIV. Um, and obviously, for one to be able to disclose in their workplace environment, there has to be an, a conducive environment where they're actually encouraged to be open about their different illnesses. Um, and there's some good, I mean, there's some companies who are doing quite well um, with, with, with the um, workplace um, 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 program um, to I mean, accommodate people live with HIV. They're not that popular um, yet for now, um, but I think the fact that we're not seeing as much of the reported cases is also a sign that it really is not much of an issue for most employers than it did before. But the domestic um, workers industry still remains very, um, I think, um, a, a, a number one um, um, sector where such is still continuing, including the trucking industry. So in the trucking industry, um, you get diagnosed with HIV, it's known by the employer, you get deployed to 
cleaning services in the company. So we're still engaging in those particular cases, but we also encourage people to come forward because unless we get um, these stories um, reported to us, we really can't intervene um, in those um, um, sectors. Yeah. That is Nongo Sikumalo, who's the Treatment Action Campaign's chairlady. Now, the Treatment Action Campaign is in support of this application by SASFU and Sandu, among others, uh, filing papers there to defend a case of alleged discrimination against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits that is in South Africa. We'd like to hear your take on this particular issue. You're more than welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter, or you can simply SMS your views to plus two seven. 823-325-905. That's plus 27-823-325-905. A reminder that on Twitter, our handle is at Channel Africa 1. That's at Channel Africa 1. And you may use the hashtag African Dialogue so that we are able to find those messages that you will be sending to us. Do remember that we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Zikona Miso. Now, uh, Biki Cliff, uh, back to you. Uh, can you explain what temporary medical uh, reclassification is? Uh, the medical classification is a system that the Defence Force uses to determine uh, to what extent a uh, soldier is deployable and uh, uh, usable, if I can call it like that, uh, in his particular mustering. Um, when you are coded G1K1, that would indicate a 100% fitness, um, most, uh, you know, mentally as well as uh, physically, and that you are able to deploy in basically any geographical area, be it desert, be it jungle, or whatever the case may be. And so you get different classifications, G2K2 and G3K3, and it goes down right to 5 if you are G5, K5, then you're basically medically unfit and uh, you can be medically boarded from, from the Defence Force. Um, what we need to understand here is that the applicants that we're assisting were in fact uh, G1, K1, but uh, because of their HIV status, um, they are also coded red, um, which means that they've, which in, in essence according to SNF policy means they've got some kind of disease that renders them unusable in the Defence Force. Now, of course, that is completely uh, uh, ridiculous to be saying a person who is HIV positive because of that status is completely non uh, or not uh, uh, cannot be used in the Defence Force in any way. Uh, there is no difference between an HIV positive soldier and another soldier uh, in a combat situation or in the ability, physical abilities or in being deployed to any geographical area, or whatever the case may be. There is absolutely no difference, except for the fact that they have a different status. Um, so that's where the health classification part comes in. And it really doesn't help the Defence Force to now say, but when it decided to take these people off because they were, uh, or not to consider them because they were code red, they did not know that the cause of the code red is HIV positive. That's rather besides the point. The point is, it's HIV-positive status that caused these people to be coded red in the first place. And that shouldn't be like it. That is unfair discrimination.
Now, I'd like to remind our listener that we did make efforts to try and get the South African National Defence Force to engage with us in today's dialogue about this particular issue, but they did decline our invitation. That is, the South African National Defence Force declined our invitation to join us today in engaging about this particular issue. Begim Volvo, I'd like to hear your take about this reclassification uh, system. Um, what is your take on it? Is it working? Is it not working? And if so, do you have any cases maybe that you can highlight uh, where it's worked or where it's not worked, uh, so to speak? The, the reclassification of, of members should um, not be done for the purposes of exclusion. Rather, it should be done for the purposes of assisting the members. You know, when you've got a policy that says you must um, deploy HIV-positive people and you must send them to courses, if you then reclassify them, you know that there are certain restrictions if a person is HIV-positive, and they themselves understand that. For an example, they should not play the conduct sport because... If they play a conduct sport, then they can also infect others. Um, so if you reclassify that, and you also, for the purposes of knowing the kind of medicine that you need uh, the people to, you need to supply for, for deployment purposes, if you know that some of your people are taking ARVs, then you use that in order to support them to uh, uh, send ARVs to the area of deployment so that they do not get... Um, that discriminated. Uh, the Defence Force, the South African National Defence Force, has a, a program called TDSA, which is a clinical research. And that research has been going on for some time, which now they have got uh, very good data uh, in terms of uh, how to deal with the issues of HIV, how many soldiers are infected and how they behave because it was it was a research uh, uh, that was done um, in collaboration with uh, the Africans. Now our 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 fear is that the attitude that the defense force is now having on the issue of HIV that there has not been a change of attitude since the 2008 case is now going to kill many soldiers because that research is now is now coming to an end. That means all the soldiers that were supported through the PDSA program, those who were getting their ARVs and support from PDSA, are now sent back to the South African Military Health Services to take charge uh, of, 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 of them. So meaning which to be the ones that will be supporting not just the members, members and their families. So if the attitude at this moment of the, of the defense force does not change, it means those members that were on that uh, program already, that are already receiving the ARVs, they are actually going to die. You know, uh, health is so important for us to, to make sure that we win this case, to make sure that the, the defense force understands that they've got a bigger and a greater responsibility, not only to the members of the defense force, but to their families as well. So well, there are many members that it are does indeed sound like there is uh, a lot of dynamics around this uh, particular issue. And unfortunately, Begim Volvo, we don't have enough time to just delve deeper into all of them. But we do appreciate all three of our guests today for coming into studio um, or on the line uh, for some of them and just joining us to 
to just give us clarity about this application, which will be going to court. That's at the North Gauteng High Court in the capital city, Pretoria, here in South Africa, about a case of alleged discrimination against HIV-positive soldiers and recruits. And right now, I'd just like to take this time to thank our guest, that's Biki Khref, who is Sandu's National Secretary, Nongosi Kumalo, in studio with us, who is TAC's chair lady, as well as Begi Mvovo, who is SASFU's president. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for the clarity that you've been able to give us. We will be watching that case very closely to see exactly how it unfolds. You're still tuned into African Dialogue, and you tuned into Channel Africa here, the voice of the African Renaissance. And without wasting any more time, let's check what's happening in economics with Wisani Matebula. Thanks, Zikona. Kuwait has sent two oil tankers carrying crude and diesel worth uh, 200 million US dollars to Egypt. This is as part of a $4 billion aid package pledged by the Gulf Arab state last week after the ousa of uh, Islamist President Mohamed Musi. Kuwait last week joined other oil producing Gulf states in pledging a massive aid package worth 12 billion US dollars to Egypt in a show of support after the army toppled the Muslim Brotherhood government. Most U.S. allied Gulf monarchies regard the Brotherhood as a threat. And South Africa's Mine Workers Union, NUM, is expected to meet with members who are staging an underground sit-in at the Consmark Mines outside Palabura in the country's Limpopo province. Workers are demanding a sum of 2 million rand, which they claim the mine owes them. More than 100 workers are taking part in the city, which began last week. It has been reported that the entire workforce has since down tools in solidarity with underground workers. In 2009, the mine gave miners a 26% share in the company, but four years later, it had still not made dividend payments. NUM's William Mababa says they will also be meeting with management. Underground, there is 124 people who are underground, and then all shafts were then stopped because uh, there was a fear that uh, all the workers will then go to underground and in all those four shafts and not come back. And uh, in the four other shafts, the employer did not allow them to go underground anymore until those ones are out. Meanwhile, South Africa's rand is flat against the dollar and is likely to trade range-bound this week ahead of a central bank interest rate decision. The South African Reserve Bank is expected to keep its uh, repo rate unchanged at 5% at the end of its policy meeting on July the 18th, and the rand is likely to hold steady amid cautious trading in the next few days. Jane Matebula has more. U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke is also due to address Congress on July the 17th and 18th, which could shed further light on the tempering of the bank stimulus program. A slowdown in the Federal's bond purchases and a strengthening of the dollar could keep the rent vulnerable in the medium term. Government bonds were barely changed, with the yield on the 2026 issue up one basis point at 8.025%, and that on the 2015 paper down half a basis point at 6.11%. For Channel Africa News, Jaina Matebula.
to neighboring Zimbabwe where the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange as SC has reached an all-time high with the industrial index reaching 223.89 point level for the first time since the dollarization. The ZSE has now gained 53.47% since the beginning of the year and a good return considering that the boss trades in US dollars. The ZSE strong rally comes just a few weeks ahead of Zimbabwe's watershed elections scheduled for the July 31st. And Kenya's energy regulator has raised their retail prices for petrol and diesel due to rising global oil prices and a weaker local currency while decreasing the price of kerosene. Fuel prices have a big impact on the rate of inflation in the East African economy. The rate rose uh, to 4.9% in June from 4.05 a month earlier. And the economy heavily depends on diesel for transport, power generation and agriculture. Financial indicators, there is dollar trading at 9.96 to the South African rent, at 0.66 to the British pound, and at 0.76 to the euro. Southern currencies, one is dollar worth 8.49 Botswana pulas and 5.42 Zambian kwachas. Commodities, gold, $1,289, platinum, $1,410, and the Brent crude oil going up now to $109.15 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. Thank you, Wissani. And now it's over to Tami Kluzaf with what's happening in the sporting field. In our sports update, the semi-finals of the Kosafa Cup have been set. Host Zambia will face South Africa, while Lesotho will go up against Zimbabwe. Both matches will take place at the Levi Monawasa Stadium in Dola. Channel Africa's Namuchana Namuchana reports. Yeah, the first match will start at 17 hours, then the second match will kick off at 20 hours. To all our listeners, they should bear in mind that this match is starting at 20 hours. That's South Africa versus Zambia. But from the local thing, it's like Zambia have got upper hand against South Africa. Though you should be noted that the game of football is full of misfortune. We might say that Zambia will be South Africa. Maybe ultimately at the end of the day, South Africa might triumph. But the Zambia national soccer team calls Rena. But from what he said yesterday after they beat Mozambique by three goals to one, Rena was the bubbling with confidence, he said there is no way that South Africa can beat Zambia on Wednesday. They will do their level best not to beat South Africa. But equally, that's what he, the South African coach Gordon English would be saying. Uh, they are saying they are not here to just make up numbers. The much as they respect the host nation Zambia, they are looking to progressing to the finals that will be played at the same venue. The other semi-final match between Zimbabwe and Lesotho, this one is a bit tight to call. As you might be aware that so far, Lesotho have been very, very, very impressive. They have managed you know, to come this far. Uh, well, most of their games, they have been coming from behind and winning their games. So I think they might give Zimbabwe a good one for their money. Though a lot of soccer pundits are saying uh, maybe Zimbabwe will beat Lesotho, but I don't think so. From from the way Lesotho has been playing, uh, I'm foreseeing a very tight match. 
The home base Super Eagles are expected to resume camp today ahead of the all-important clash against the Elephant of Ivory Coast in the return leg of their 2014 African Nations Championship. The match will be played on the 27th of July at the Stadets Felix Humphrey Bonnier Stadium in Abidjan in Ivory Coast. Super Eagles won the first leg 4-1 at their home two weeks ago. Channel Africa's Tony Ubani reports. Already head coach Stephen Keshe has called 24 players to come for the return leg of their 2014 African Nations Championship champ final qualifying game in Abidjan on July the 27th. The Super Eagles won 4-1 from the first leg last weekend. All the players are expected to report in Abuja today. Keshe has invited four new players, including one defender, one midfielder, and two strikers in line with a pledge to inject a new face following the first leg win at the Amado Bello Stadium. Kaduna. And now in rugby, the South African Rugby Sevens team is in pool position to win Pool D at the World Student Games in Kazan in Russia. They also advanced to the quarterfinals after picking up two wins against neighbours Namibia and Latvia yesterday. They meet Japan today and head coach Ian Campbell-Magichi is positive that his team will get the desired result. We need to win, to beat Japan, to win the, uh, the group session. Uh, if you won the group, uh, then your way to the quarterfinals and finals is going to be much easier. Uh, that's so that is vital. That's why our plans that we're going to have a video session uh, between 10 and 11 just to see what happened the previous day. And then we're going to talk about our performance against Japan, how we're going to deal with th- that situation. And then at uh, 15.08, we'll play Japan. And now in call, Phil Mickelson has won the Aberdeen Asset Management Scottish Open at Castle Stewart, enjoying the ideal preparation for the Open. It's the world number eight's first win on the Lynx course, claimed in a playoff against Brendan Grace. Nick Dye reports. Mickelson's a hugely popular winner, and his eye-catching final round saw several ups and downs before a trademark wedge shot to a couple of inches at the first extra hole, which got the job done in style. He'd needed par at the last, but it threatened to be another big title slipping away. He three-putted for bogey to finish on 17-under. Grace, who'd won on the Lynx courses of the east of Scotland last autumn, had felt he'd fallen short, yet was happy with his showing. Now he had to regroup. He played the 18th well again, but the magic of Mickelson proved too good. Henrik Stenson and the Danish rookie J.B. Hansen had led on the final day, but finished tied in third spot. Mickelson moves on to Muirfield, feeling confident that opportunity could knock twice. And finally, in athletics, the Kenyan team at the World Youth Athletics Championships, which ended in Ukraine yesterday, were asked into a second place by Jamaica on the medal standings. Only 37 out of 165 countries who took part in the five-day championship managed to win medals in this tough competition, which is exclusively for young athletes aged between 16 and 17. Our correspondent, Geshom Nyat, reports. Jamaica were on top of the medal standings with a total of eight medals. They were pushed to the top by virtue of winning the most number of gold medals, six in total and two bronze. Kenya, also the best side from Africa, were second with 11 medals, four gold, three silver and four bronze. They were much stronger than the rest of the teams in longer track events such as the 800 meters, 1500 meters and 2000 meters steeplechase. Ethiopia were next in third place with a total of eight medals, three gold, three silver, and two bronze. Australia, USA, Russia, and Germany followed in that order. South Africa picked two medals, courtesy of a gold medal by Helen Sonepol in the girls' 400-meter hurdles and bronze by Julia Duplessis in the high jump. 
three other countries from Africa who won medals, one apiece were Eritrea, Egypt and Morocco. Geshom Nyati, Channel Africa Sports, London. And that's the end of our sports. Stay tuned to Channel Africa. Thank you to Tamik Luza for that sports update. Well, that brings us to the end of this installment of African Dialogue. We'd like to once again thank our guests for joining us today and, of course, shedding some light on today's topic. The dialogue doesn't stop here, though. Be sure to communicate your views with us via Facebook or Twitter, or you can SMS to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Be mindful that our Twitter handle is at Channel Africa. One. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday. That's at 1100 hours Central African time. But now from me, Zikona Miso, it's adios until tomorrow. Next up is Africa Midday with Zama Nyuswa Nyuswa.